Hey, good morning. So uh, one mother tweeted this out. She tweeted this. She said, one day I'll be thankful my daughter is an independent, iron-willed human with an unrelenting, strong voice. But not today, not in this grocery store. So we're in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and we're on the Fifth Commandment today. This is honor your father and your mother. Now, this commandment has to do with the principle of authority. God has all authority. He has delegated His authority into different spheres of human life. For instance, civil government has authority. The church has an authority structure. One of the primary ones, the one we're talking about today, is the family. His authority given to the parents in the family to be manifested in the lives that are produced, the children that are produced in that family. And when we talk about authority, what are we talking about? Well, moral authority is, number one, it's the right to declare what is right and what is wrong, to, number two, demand that the right be followed, and number three, enforce consequences if it is not. And so this is where children are to primarily learn this principle of submission to authority. Now, I want to say four things about this commandment today that generally have to do with the family. Number one, honor, honor is God's plan for the family. In other words, the family is honorable, and there is to be honor in the family. Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother. The family, as the Bible has given us a model for, the family is important. It is critical. It encompasses two of the most important interpersonal relationships that we ever have. That's husband to wife and parents to children. And is the primary area or arena where children learn to submit to authority. The family today is under attack, the biblical model of the family. I could cite all kinds of statistics and give you examples, but I don't feel like I need to convince anyone of that. Anyone who's paying attention knows that that is the case. Some of us will remember an old TV sitcom, which was actually very close to the opposite of what a God-fearing family ought to be like. The father figure was portrayed as a dictatorial, ultra-redneck, prejudiced, thinks he knows it all, ignoramus. His wife was an awkward, meek, decent, made-to-look-stupid airhead. Their daughter's husband, called Meathead by the father, was an ultra-left-wing, countercultural, atheistic intellectual. He was portrayed as the only one who had any sense. What was the name of that show? All in the Family. And in many ways, it was the exact antithesis of the biblical model of the family. Looking back, it is called groundbreaking. Groundbreaking in the sense that it was portraying and it was prescient of something that was to happen, the deterioration of the family in America. One commentator writes, The observable results of the many modern satanic attacks on the family are summed up in the increasing contempt for authority in modern culture. Divine authority is mocked and scorned. There's open rebellion against the authority of the civil government. The law is defied. Policemen are derided and attacked. In many school classrooms, teachers are openly insulted, ignored, and even physically attacked. Parents are regarded as nuisances whose values are outdated. Youth not disciplined to submit to parental authority are asserting their freedom from all authority. Honor for parents is thus not just a matter of tradition or sentiment or kindness. The family unit is the building block of society and the very foundation of social order. And the fifth commandment is the guardian 
of the family. The fifth commandment is the guardian of the family. Honor your father and your mother. Just shows the emphasis God is placing on the family. All right? That's number one. I'm saying four things today. Now, we say honor your father and your mother. What does that mean? What does that word honor mean? First of all, it means respect. Again, Exodus 20, 12, we'll read the whole verse. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This word honor, translated from the Hebrew, literally means heavy in the sense that it refers to people who are heavy. Not, not physically, but that they are carrying heavy responsibility. Because they carry heavy responsibility, they are due respect. They are not to be treated as lightweights. That's the opposite of what God is teaching. Proverbs 30, verse 11, 13, and 17, Solomon writes, There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers, those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Think of an eye roll. The eye that mocks a father that scorns an aged mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by vultures. So kids, here's a warning. Don't roll your eyes at your parents or they might get pecked out by buzzards. In Leviticus 19.3, God says, each of you must respect your mother and your father. How serious of a commandment is this? Serious. It's indicated by the promise that's attendant to the command that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, the context here, of course, is the Israelites are being prepared to invade the land of Canaan to take possession of the promised land. And God is saying, to the degree that you have a solid family foundation, children who honor their parents, an authority structure to that degree, you're going to remain in the land. You're going to have a flourishing society. And it's not a stretch to extrapolate from that. At any society where that's the case, where you have an intact family structure along the biblical model, that society is much more likely to prosper and to flourish. But to the degree that we depart from that model, then the society begins to disintegrate. We see the seriousness of the command also in the penalty that's attached to it, to disobedience, Acts 21, or Exodus rather. 21.15, anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Exodus 21.17, anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. God takes this very seriously. Last December in the NBA, basketball, NBA, named their MVP trophy after a basketball player. Still living, not currently playing. Some believe this player was the GOAT. So, does anyone know what player the NBA named its MVP trophy after? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Now, some of us remember the Father's Day NBA championship, 1996. The Bulls won that championship. There's an iconic image of Michael Jordan clutching the game ball on the floor of the locker room. Highly emotional time because it was the first championship he had won after his father had passed away. It happened to be on Father's Day. And afterwards he said, I can't even put it in words on Father's Day what this means to me. This is for my dad. I'm very happy for him. I know that he is watching. Honor 
is respect. It's a great image of respect and honor right there. And even as parents age, and there may not be anymore, you know, the rules become more like advice and that obedience structure, the respect continues. It continues in caring for elderly parents. We had an elder care workshop here at the church yesterday all about caring for our elderly family members, remembering them, sending them cards, emails, notes, texts, helping them to navigate the vicissitudes of life as they grow older. All of that is wrapped up in respect. I know, I know some of the situations of folks here in this room are doing a great job honoring and respecting their parents as they age. And, and some of us are receiving that from our children as well. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, the person who does not provide for the members of his own family is worse than an unbeliever. So we continue to revere them and respect them in that way. Okay, so just talking about honor as it relates to the family. Honor is God's plan for the family. It's very important. Honor means respect. Here's the third thing that honor means. Honor means obedience to parents. This would be for the younger children. That's an application of this commandment. To honor your father and mother is obedience to parents. As Paul restates this command in the New Testament, he puts it this way in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he cites this commandment. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Colossians 3.20, he puts it this way. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Jesus, of course, set an example of this. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51 says, Jesus was obedient to them, them meaning Mary and Joseph, his parents. Uh, what about a child who doesn't necessarily have a Christian parent and might be telling them or instructing them to do something which is ungodly? Well, Paul qualifies this and says, Obey your parents in the Lord. And as children grow older and they feel like they have to make a choice between God, obeying God and, and obeying man, the Bible is clear, we must obey God, but be willing to suffer the consequences that may come with that. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 35, God sends a message to Jeremiah to make contact with a clan of people known as the Rechabites. Right? They're a group within Israel, the clan of the Rechabites. He said, I want you to go to them, invite them to the temple, and offer them bowls of wine to drink. And so Jeremiah does that, and he invites the Rechabites. The Rechabites come. He offers them bowls of wine to drink, and they refuse. Said, no, we're not going to drink. Why not? They said, because we have an ancestor in our family who made this a rule for us. It's Jehonadab. He's the son of Rechab. And we're called Rechabites because of Rechab. But his son, Jehonadab, said, in our family, we don't drink wine. And so they said, from that time, from that time to this day, which had been 200 years, none of us Rechabites drink wine. You know, from, the, from the parents, the great-grandparents, the crazy aunts and uncles, the cousins, none of us. Jeremiah 35, 8, we have obeyed everything our forefather commanded us. Neither we nor wives, our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine. That's some hardcore family obedience and honor. A rule in the family that everyone kept for 200 years. And the reason God had Jeremiah do this was to use the Rechabites as an example of obedience. He said, this is an example for the rest of Israel who are not being obedient. In verse 12, Jeremiah 35. He says to Israel, God says, will you not learn a lesson? 
and obey my words? Jehonadab ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day they do not drink wine, because they obey. But you have not obeyed me. And God then proceeded to reward the Rechabites simply because they knew how to obey. Now, he's extrapolating from their example, an example for all of Israel, that we should be obedient to God. It's not a leap to say that a child who learns obedience in a family is going to find it much easier to become obedient to God, to submit to the lordship of his authority. That's our primary relationship to God. He's the creator, we're the creature, he is our sovereign, our ruler, we are to obey his commandments. When we grow up in a family where there is obedience and an understanding of that authority structure, a lot easier for that child to become a Christian when they grow up. Much more difficult if that is not the case. Remember, the Roman centurion who came to Jesus and asked, will you heal my servant? Jesus said, yeah, I will. Just lead me to your home. And the centurion said, no, I know you don't have to come to my home. He said, I'm a man of authority. I understand authority. I'm a Roman centurion. I have superiors who are over me. I do what they tell me to do. I've got a hundred soldiers under me. If I tell them to go, they go. If I tell them to come, they come. They do what I say. I understand this whole thing of authority. And he said, I've been watching you. I can see you're a man of authority as well. All you have to do is speak the word. My servant will be healed. And the Bible says, the gospel writers say, that Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. Now, that's only said of Jesus two times, that he was amazed. He, and it said right here, he was amazed at the faith of the Roman centurion. He wasn't even a Jew, but he did understand authority. And because he had that understanding, he became a follower of the Lord. and He was able to place his faith and trust in Jesus what a blessing it is when children learn that in the family. Someone once said that discipline in a family is not child abuse. Child abuse is not teaching a child discipline and submission because that child is going to grow up to be unlikable and will be abused by the world for the rest of his life. Honor is obedience to parents. Now, where I want to wind up here, the fourth thing we want to say is that we need to make sure that as parents, we are honorable, that we are honorable people. Children are going to find it a lot easier to submit to the authority and the discipline of honorable parents. There's parental obligation implied here. And I'm just break this down into three things of an honorable parent that characterize an honorable parent. Number one is to teach is to teach children, primarily the way of righteousness. Psalm 145.4, One generation shall praise your words to another and shall declare your mighty acts. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6.4, God says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. Now, in the New Testament, there are two letters that are written to Timothy. So we're familiar with that name. Timothy was a preacher in the church at Ephesus. Paul, the apostle, wrote him two letters. And Paul says of Timothy, he says, You know the word of God because of your mother, Lois, and your grandmother, Eunice. They're the ones who taught you the word of God. They took this command in Deuteronomy literally, and they taught their son and grandson, Timothy, the Word of God. It wasn't his father who made the difference in his life. His father was not a believer. It was the women folk. And we may have some single mothers. We may have some watching. 
A single mother can do this, can make all the difference in their child's life. Any single parent can be the difference maker. And if this was true of the Israelites, that they were to teach and pass on these commands, how much more we who are Christians? Ephesians 6.4, Paul says, bring them up, our children, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord. Now, there are, there are you know, a lot of parents who want to impart to their children things that are practical and helpful for this life. Look both ways before you cross the street and don't take candy from strangers and they want to protect them. They want them to learn the ABCs and send them to school, get a good education. Practical things for this life. But when it comes to religion, they say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to let them make their own choice. I'm not going to make them go to church and I'm not going to take them to children's program or to youth group or send them off to church camp, anything like that. They need to be free to make their own choice in the area of religion, even though we don't say that in any other area when it comes to our small children. We don't say, eh, if they want to take a bath, they can take a bath. If they don't want to practice hygiene, we don't, I don't care. Let them choose. Whether or not they brush their teeth, let them choose. Whether or not they eat sugar for breakfast or they eat good food, that's up to them. Eh, whether they get an education or not, they can choose. We don't say that in any other sphere, but in religion, hands off, I'm not going to, to not choose is to make a choice. To not take a child to church is to make a choice. To not read the Bible in the home or pray or teach about God is to make a choice. We make all kinds of choices for our young children because we know what's best for them. We want to steer them in the right direction. And if we believe we have the truth, what we believe is true about God, about Jesus, about salvation, how much more should we want to make sure they're equipped in eternal truths, things going to make a difference for them in eternity and not just in this life? We want to teach them uh, that there is an authority structure for one thing. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. There is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So we want to teach authority in the home, starting with the parents. Parents, we do not have to ask permission for some, for, from anyone to be the parents of our children. They don't belong to the state. They don't belong to the government. They don't belong to the school, right? They belong to God, ultimately, and God has given them to us. And he has delegated authority to the parents through exercising the family. A family is not a democracy. It's a benevolent dictatorship. And the parents are the dictators and have the right to exercise that authority. So that's where it's learned, first and foremost. We want to teach them salvation. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Take advantage of all the resources, the children's programming, at a church, at a camp, a youth conference, youth groups, the one-year Bible. Big fan of the one-year Bible, as you know. It's, uh, these are all supplements, but in our own homes, want to see mom and dad reading the Bible, maybe reading the Bible with the child, and this is the children's version of the one-year Bible, so I've got it up here, and I've spoken about that before. A lot of people have bought that for their kids or their grandkids, so I just put it up there. You can take a picture of it if you're interested in making that available. All right, so we're teaching. We're teaching an authority. We're teaching the way of the Lord, the way of righteousness, salvation. Now, here's the second thing. Honorable parents, we want to love our kids. We want to make sure we love our children. Uh, you know, for, for every spanking, some people leave in spanking, some people don't. There should be a hundred hugs, and I love you. A thousand hugs, and I love you. This is the agape style of love. It's the intelligent goodwill. We want the best for them, and we make those choices. Uh, Paul, in Romans chapter 1, 
lists disobedience to parents as a sin. But in the very next verse, he lists a parental sin. It's the sin of being without natural affection. Many versions translate that without natural affection. The word in the original language is a storge. A storge. Storge is family love. A storge is without family love. It's someone who does not love their own children. We want to make sure we're loving our children. And then thirdly and finally, <clears throat> talking about being honorable parents, we want to discipline. This is part of our tender loving care for our children. Proverbs 3.12, a father corrects a child he cares about. And Proverbs 13.24, if you don't correct your children, you don't love them. And if you love them, you will be quick to discipline them. Okay? So when... Um, when Tammy and I were in Bible college, we were engaged, not yet married, didn't have any children. We took a, a, a parenting class. It was a family living class. And we learned a principle of parenting in that class. Uh, it's a biblical principle, and it's one that uh, I had not learned from my family of origin, and she had not learned from her family of origin. But because of this one parenting principle, it, it totally revolutionized the way we brought up our young children, prepubescent children, say, up until around 11 or 12. So we could take them anywhere. There were no terrible twos. There were no fits. Uh, we could take them to any restaurant. They, they'd sit quietly, enjoy the meal, did not disrupt. Uh, we loved being with them. We could enjoy them, relax. Because we exercised this one. This principle is gold. This is golden. Some of you look like maybe your parents are, or your kids are grown, but I'll, I'll speak to those who may be watching online. And for grandparents. Okay, you ready? This is the golden parenting principle. It's very simple, but it's amazing how, how often it is, not, it is not followed. And here it is. Only tell them once. Okay? Only tell them once. And if there is not a follow-up of obedience, then there's a consequence. So no bargaining, no cajoling, don't nag your children. That's frustrating for you and it's frustrating for them. Don't count down from three. Don't count down from ten. Don't count down at all. Just tell them once. See, because children are very smart. And they learn. Uh, you know, my dad, he's told me to do something, but he doesn't mean business because he's not mad yet. His face is not flushed and red. He hasn't raised his voice. He doesn't have a mean look on his face. He's not about to rise himself up from the chair. So they know, oh, dad doesn't mean business yet until they see those signs and those signals, right? And then they learn. That's when dad means business or mom, and that's when they obey. But children are also smart in the other direction. If they know they're told once, and if they don't obey, there's a consequence, they learn that just as well. Mom means business the very first time she says it. Dad means business the first time he says it. And they learn obedience the first time. And children, children, this is what parents are looking for. Obedience without negotiation, without pushback, without whining and complaining. All right. But, the, but still, it falls back on the parents to follow that rule. See, a lot, I believe, I've learned a lot, most parents love their children, not all of them like their children because they're constantly hassling with them, hassle, hassle. But when you take the hassle out of the equation, and this is how to do it, with obedience and discipline, you take the hassle out, then the parents and the children are free to enjoy one another. They're free to love each other. They're free to go and have experience in public places and in restaurants and in grocery stores without fear or worry there's going to be a breakdown or a fit or some emotional display. 
and they can really enjoy and love one another. Okay, so there's more to it than that. I've got an eight-page addendum on Only Tell Them Once in my manuscript. I can't go into today, but if you're interested and you want to share that with someone or read it, just on the communication card, just check that you'd like a copy of the manuscript, and I'll send that to you. I'm, at some point, I'm going to publish this as a little booklet. I'm going to call it I'm going to call it Only Tell Them Once. I think it's the most, maybe the most important thing I learned about parenting in my whole life. Uh, all right, so there's that. Uh, that's being an honorable parent. <clears throat> Awful quiet in here. At the 1992 Summer Olympic Games in Barcelona, <clears throat> Derek Redmond was a sprinter for Great Britain. Redmond's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's awful. Redmond's pursuit of a medal in the 400 meters started off well as he notched the fastest time in the prelims and won his quarterfinal heat. In the semifinals, Redmond charged out of the blocks. He looked strong in the first straightaway, but shortly before the race's halfway mark, he suddenly grimaced in pain and grabbed the back of his right thigh. His hamstring had torn. He crumpled to the track in pain and dismay as the rest of the pack sprinted on. Alone on the track, Redmond stood and began hopping on his left foot. Careful to remain in his lane, determined to finish the race, the crowd stood and cheered as Redmond limped slowly toward the finish line. Then a figure emerged from alongside the track and beat off the security to get to Redmond. Who was it? It was his dad. It was his dad. Let's watch what happened, then we'll come back and make one application here. Derek Redmond later said, he said, he, my father was telling me that I had nothing to prove and that I didn't need to do this, but I told him I was going to finish. Then he said that we would do it together. So we did. We do it together. Honor begets honor. God gave this blessing to the Israelites to pronounce over the nation and over their families. Number 624, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And Moses adds in Deuteronomy, God keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes unfailing love on those who love him and keep his commands. 
If only there was a song that we could sing called The Blessing. Let's stand and sing together.